Welcome back to More Than A Lumpy Jumper. This week, we're in conversation with my dear friend Nina Sims from Third Space Coaching, chatting about how we learn to love ourselves more, why would we want to, the challenges along the way, and what the impact might be if that internal shift is made. So come and join us, Being With Nina Sims. It's been a bit tricky to decide how to start introducing Nina, and there'll be lots of stuff that you'll hear about her as we start to unravel learning to love oneself. But I think the things that I wanted to say was that I've known Nina since I was 13. And so I've known her as a variety of different humans, if that's the right way to put it. I've known her as daughter, sister, mother, actress, leadership and management trainer, coach, poet, but above all, my friend. So Nina, I am so, so pleased to welcome you to this nut house, which is more than a lumpy jumper. You are most, most welcome. Oh, thank you, Bobby. And thank you, Bridge. It's a delight and very special, Bobby, to hear your introduction, to feel back, gosh, across the decades into all those ways of knowing myself and yeah it's lovely to have them enumerated and somehow feels relevant to our conversation today all the different ways that we are in the world and how we keep on becoming and changing and yeah it's lovely thank you oh it's my pleasure so we're here Bridget and I asking you to help us with our theme around love which has been going on for a number of our episodes for February. And I suppose the first thing to say in this business of loving yourself is what does that actually mean to you when I first say that? You know, let's just open with a really rather ambitious question and see see where we get to. Yeah. Uh, As you say that, Bobby, I think, yeah, let's start with the small questions, shall we? My goodness. So what does it mean to me? Is that how you framed the question? Yes. Yes. Hmm. Well, I, yeah, as you say that, I think there's so many places and threads that my interest kind of runs off into. Like all lots of ideas about self-loving and kind of way it might show up in your and my work. And Bridge, I know definitely in yours as well, because I've been listening to other episodes. So I know how central in so many ways this theme is. But I think if you're asking me what it means to me, I feel like I want to start really, really close in, in a kind of intimate way, yeah, in my own life, which I think is in my own world and ongoing. And by the way, this is like just ongoing. It's not like something I have done and I'm out the other side of, is a constant remembering and a kind of reclaiming of my own innate goodness. And as I say that, God, I realize that sounds really grand, And actually, I think that's one of the things that culturally keeps us away from it is that we typically, I don't think many of us walk around thinking that we are fundamentally good and that we have kinds of gifts that the world needs. So Mm. I think it's really, for me, been about reclaiming that and really taking an honest look at my capacities, kind of what I might be here for, the way that 
life, whatever that is, gets expressed through me into the world. And of course, that also means looking at all the distortions and habits that have kept my, (laughs) I don't know, other ways of being like my small-mindedness and my competitiveness and yeah, my not enoughness stories about myself and others going. Nina, I'm really interested in just going a little bit deeper into that because I think that a lot of us struggle with those things that you've talked about, this issue of not really being able to focus on how wonderful we are and not being able to see ourselves often the way that other people who love us see us. Yeah. Instead, focusing on those I'm impatient, I'm cranky in the mornings, I I find it difficult to be patient with my mom when she needs help with computers or I micromanage my husband when we're traveling. Oh, you know, obviously I'm talking about things I beat myself up about, but I'm really interested to understand a little bit of possibly some techniques that we might look at to move that focus back to I'm really good at I'm loved because of these things and may may I put it another way because I'm absolutely with you Bridge and and Nina of course in that how do we love the pieces of ourselves that we believe are unlovable god yeah this is Well, I actually think this is just the crux of it, what you're both naming, for me anyway. It has been a journey and for me, and I think this is the work, is being with all parts of ourselves, right? So I, in fact, I have it later today. I have a session with my internal family systems therapist. I think this is amazing work for looking at the constellation of parts that we are and really being willing to listen to each of them. So Bridge, when you talk about the impatient part of you, or I talk about the competitive part of myself, rather than sidelining those parts and demonizing them, which I actually think our culture, our systemic culture encourages us to do that, to push them away. Instead of exiling those parts, we can I think with support, I really would say that I need support to do this by somebody skilled and loving themselves to get into conversation with those parts and find out how they have become formed in us, to what end, what they're trying to take care of, because so often these are like parts that are trying to protect us from something. And so when we can be in conversation with them, we can then sort of reintegrate them and take the burden off those parts. I don't know if this is making sense as I say it, but it's such important work rather than keep pushing them down, which takes so much energy and is a kind of avoidance, but we can welcome them all in. And then I think we kind of liberate the goodness of those parts. So it's not really just about seeking, oh, the good parts of me versus the bad and not so good parts of me. It's actually about finding the goodness in all parts. I'm interested, though, for people who might be listening, and and we often try and put this into more of a leadership context, but in this case, Mm. maybe I'm not going to. And while I get the point that for a lot of the deep work, you often need support, I'm Mm. interested in whether either of you, Nina or Bobby, have any sort of idiot proof, (laughs) just everyday things that people could practice now 
either in the workplace or at home, you know, parents with kids who worry about being impatient or with elderly parents or or husbands or partners of some form, just whether there are some sort of everyday simple things that we can do for those people maybe who don't have access to the big support. I mean, Nina, I can say something. You'll have inordinately more, but... <laughs> just something that leaps out of me and and Bridge you and I have had this conversation before but it's just trying to remind yourself to take a breath so whilst there is inordinate work to be done the thing I was going to bring up as Nina was talking about the internal family systems is that I I have read and, and we'll put this in the references Richard Schwartz's book on no bad parts Yeah, it's great. Which is a great book in terms of actually starting to have that conversation with yourself about which are the bits that you hide away because you think they're unlovable. I've only got as far as journaling and realising that I could get down some real rabbit holes if we're not careful with some of these things. But I think the first thing, if I go back to Bridge, I mean, you you gave us a a bit of a list. The fact of speaking things out loud. Mm -hmm. So one, you're aware of them. And two, you're willing to share them in that safe space, you know, saying to Mohammed, you know, I always micromanage you when we're traveling. That doesn't mean I don't love you, but these are the reasons that it comes up. There's innate goodness in that. So it's the taking a breath and naming them for me as to what's actually going on in that minute. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you think, Nina, or, or how that even sounds to you, Bridge, but that's where I would start as part and parcel of the journey that I've been on. I love that, Bobby. I think Brené Brown talks about this as well. She talks about just bringing stuff that's in the shadow, stuff that we normally hold away from other people and effort around to keep private because we're ashamed of it into the light. And as soon as we do that, we invite other people in to support and to bring their love to us. So I absolutely love that. And I think just, yeah, that simple thing. And you're talking about saying it to other people, Bobby. I think even just saying it to yourself. This is what's going on. Ah, I see. This is what's going on. The other one I wanted to bring in is, and I was, this is coming up, I think, Bridge, you spoke in a previous conversation about this practice of inviting other people to tell you what they see about you. Mm. And I know, and you named some gorgeous qualities that I think other people have clearly articulated about you. I remember the first one, the headline was loyalty, because it really (laughs) impacted me. I think this practice of inviting other people to tell us the gifts that they see in us. And I would also say being really clear that you don't want this as flattery. Yeah. But simply as the truth of how they experience you. And I know, Bobby, when you were going freelance, you Mm. invited some trusted few to say in a very few words, you know, what I value about you, what you bring to the world. It's really yes. countercultural for us to do this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we, go, and we get, yeah, we get all kind of squirmy and we go, oh no. And then all our parts, again, our self-critical parts come up and go, well, they would say that, wouldn't they? Which is why I think the way that we do it matters so much and who we ask. I filtered mine from the things that I, that bouncing off. It's just the little things. You know, when somebody says, oh, you look lovely today. Why is it so difficult for us to just say thank you and accept it? Yeah. And, you know, we'll we'll do that whole cobblers about, oh, it's just a it's just from, you know, the bottom of my wardrobe or just a little thing that or, or just to try to have it bounce back off again. 
And and I know that with that exercise that I did when I was going freelance, that I started going, oh, well, I can just about see that. Oh, but that that's a bit much. And then it was like, what the hell am I playing at? I asked for this. Take it all in. And and I know that I, I know that with both of you and I know I do it in myself, but there is a level of discomfort when somebody shows you that sort of love. Bobby, I'm really interested in this idea that you talked about. You filtered some of the, I'm sure, lovely things that people said. And I wonder also this, there's an issue of, yeah, we hearing, hearing things, but actually writing them down so that they, you know, putting them up like affirmations maybe, so that you also see them, things that people have said. I just wondered what, what you thought about that. I Absolutely the thing that was striking me in the remembering of that and, you know, just saying a little bit about what it's like. And I've watched it in both of you when I've said lovely things that there's almost like a wriggle or the bouncing mm. off. And that for me is somatic. I know that this is my thing and it being about the body, but I actually think that if I try to connect all of the pieces and, and I'm not trying to over, oversimplifying it, but I'm also wondering what the two of you think of this. So what happens is that if we go back to that example of me taking all of those things in and I saw all of them and I did start writing them down, I was working on a little book, which I'll have to remember the person who wrote it called The Word. So what's your word? And that's where my piece that I've been using a little bit like a brand of Bring, Breathe, Be came from because of all of the things that people use. So I really had to sit with the affirmations for quite a while. But what I remember most of that, and this is what I think happens to us, is that there's this level of discomfort because it's not how we're or what we're used to. So you almost try to wriggle away from it. So I would absolutely agree to put those affirmations up on walls around you so that you can see them. But when you look at them, read them, I'd also speak them out loud. And just see how that feels in your body because they're about you. And yes, it's come from other people, but the real believing in terms of loving yourself is when you're actually able to say it in your own voice. Now, I don't know if any of that makes sense as well, but I think you've got to really believe it and be it. Yes, I completely with you, Bobby. And I was just thinking about it, like in this moment, what that would be like to do that. And I know that my body would be wriggling. You said this like wriggling away. I think your thing of speaking it out and breathing. And for me, a really simple thing, Bridge, you're asking about simple stuff, it, simple but not easy, is to stay upright and still and like open my heart center, which is very simply like rolling my shoulders back. Because one of the things that I know I do is I collapse and it's a way of protecting myself from things. And it's really subtle. So I think noticing in our body, Bobby, to your point about somatics, all the ways in which our body moves us away from encountering our goodness, our lovable parts, what other people can see. And the other thing that came up for me, Bobby, as you were saying, was you said, read them out loud yourself. I think that's brilliant. Record them in your own voice. Mm. Mm. And the other thing that a client asked me to do recently, and it was genius, is he had written out things for himself that felt true, but kind of tricky and challenging for him to accept about himself. 
These were commitments to himself and his goodness. And then he said to me, would you please read them back out loud, record them, so that he could hear them in both his own voice and in the voice of somebody else he trusted. Oh, I love that. Mm. Yeah, that, that's super powerful, actually. I can imagine that that makes a difference because sometimes we don't trust our own voice like we don't trust ourselves yes when you hear things we sort of think oh well you yeah yeah that's but if you hear someone else as you say who you trust or love say that I also wondered about um often in my experience certainly when I have heard the things that people say or think or feel about me often they are actually the things that I find are my weaknesses or the things that I we've talked about that I would hide so some of the things they've effectively just turned how they look at the things that I do that I think oh this is impatience this is micromanagement this is whatever the things that I think are not great elements of myself actually for other people are a superpower and so yes. I find that very, mm. I mean, it's a really, again, it, that's why it's so powerful is to listen to what other people that care about you, you love, or that you, that you work with and trust will say about yeah. you is that it just can shift your approach to some of the things that you struggle with. Absolutely. In fact, Bridget, I was just, when you asked about tips of things that we can do, this really plays into another one, which is. If we were to write down the things, the complaints that we have about ourselves, I always think that when you think about someone like a customer making a complaint, you can get really upset about it. You can look at all the ways in which something is falling short, or you can go to the place where you say, if they've taken the time to complain about it, they care about something. Mm. What is the care at the heart of the complaint? And when I hear you talk about that bridge of sight, noticing the things that in you that are annoying that other people can see as a superpower, it may be that they can feel the care in it, the care in your micromanagement, to use that example. Mm. And I, I wonder if we could do that piece of work ourselves as well as perhaps having other people help us do it, which is when I have a complaint about myself or a tendency in me or a habit that I don't like in myself, can I plumb the care that's at the heart of it? I'm super interested in this idea of shifting the mindset in terms of how we look at things and just changing the narrative can make such a difference to how we approach ourselves and other people. Because mm. I think, that Nina, also in terms of workplace and personal relationships, because in reality, when we talk about applying lots of, lots of things to leadership, actually all of the, the skills in leadership are applicable everywhere and in yes. relationships so when we are niggled by a colleague or a loved one I guess mm. the same thing is to look at it as how can I shift or change the narrative in terms of what they're doing and look for that love or that care or that dedication that was a nugget in that behavior that's really annoying us so that we become less annoyed and more curious about what's driving them to behave in that way yeah absolutely and actually just so this thing about assuming good intent trusting the goodness of ourselves and others I think in my experience in the workplace it cuts out so much noise and so much wasted energy oh absolutely 
You know, we do, we, if you think about it, I love this. I don't know if either of you have come across this book, An Everyone Culture. It's called An Everyone Culture Becoming Delibra Deliberately, can't say that word, Deliberately Developmental Organization by Robert Keegan and Lisa Lasko-Lehi. And they have this amazing, really simple central idea, which I think Bridges speaks right to the heart of what you're saying, which is that most people at work are doing two jobs which is that they are doing the job with it's in the job description. And then they are also doing a whole bunch of image management around, you know, how do other people see me defending themselves, trying to look good, second guessing what people want from them. And it's just such a waste of time. And I think that when we step to one side of that, something else really becomes possible in relationships at work and a whole different order of attending to what matters to each of us, to efficiency, to one another's well-being. The interesting thing is, if we go back to this piece about no bad parts or the pieces that we don't want people to see and you go to the workplace, every individual who hasn't listened to this podcast and learning to love themselves <laughs> potentially is doing that. But then you get a team culture that will do that. And you will get an organization culture that will do that. It's layer upon layer about the pieces that they don't want people to see. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, when you, when you start unraveling, not starting from a place of good intent, Bridget will know that I want to throw away policy handbooks and all of that bollocks, because most of the time they're writing in a way that says that human beings are malingerers who are out to get them. Well, yeah. Rather than these people are coming here to do the best job that they feasibly can, and we have to help them with that. And that's yes. the statement of where good intent and also accepting that people will get irritated with people, that people won't agree that people will get impatient, that people will have an off day. That doesn't mean that their good intent isn't at the heart of them. Yeah. Bobby, I think it also means that we have to recognise that in ourselves, that, you know, I, Absolutely. I, I know from my experience and the things that I do is that if I have a bad day and I snap at someone or I am not the leader that I should be, I will beat myself up about that for weeks or months and still, mm. you know, there'll be flashbacks of things that I did that I'm ashamed of and think, oh God, I still remember that time when I did this thing or said that thing. And there is a tendency for some people, and I know it's not everyone, you know, some people seem to manage to go through life completely <laughs> oblivious. But I do think that that there is this tendency for us to also when we're being self-reflective, maybe be too hard on ourselves for just an off day or get what used to be called getting out of the wrong side of the bed. Yeah, I completely agree. It's bringing to mind for me a couple of things about, and, and herein lies the work as well, because I, I'm speaking personally, but I'm trying to take it macro as well, because I'm wondering how this sounds for anybody else, that those those pieces that you're saying where you've pulled somebody out or you you've had the bad day, but how long that goes on for, but what shame does in terms of how deeply you can start to bury parts of yourself 
so they're so deeply buried that you almost forget things that have happened because that's just one way of getting rid of it so again you know needing somebody to support you to bring that sort of stuff to the surface but the other thing that i'm noting as as we're talking that sometimes and i know that this has been true for me as i've unpacked this and nina knows this because she was supporting me with my coaching development that one of the other things that needs a look at and this is why it's so important to be asking other people to be making these statements these affirmations for you as well as learning to say them for yourself is that there will be parts of you that you think are unloved that will have voices from the past attached to them yeah and there comes a point where there somebody needs to help somebody have an awareness that the person who is carrying on that affirmation about the part of you that can't be loved or is unlovable is actually your own voice. So those things that bridge that you're talking about where you beat yourself up, they may well have come from somebody else originally, but we, we collectively are the ones that continue to give them a voice. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it makes lots of sense to me, Bobby. And I think, God, this whole topic of, the kind of narratives about ourselves and the world that we get thrown into just by being born. And, you know, we have our family cultures and then we have our wider cultures and communities and the way that we get colonized by, it's really profound. And it's also, I think, inherently hopeful to see that we are the protagonist in those narratives, albeit we get thrown into a particular understanding of ourselves because then we can take action around that. And I actually think it's really a radical move of inclusion to do the kind of work that you're talking about, Bobby. It matters so much because I think, Bridge, earlier you were talking about the way I understood something of what you were saying was we project out into the world that which is happening on the inside of us. So if we don't see our own good intent, it's really hard to see the good intent of others. And... I was going to say something about punishing narratives that get projected out into the people that we're working with. And we really have to take back. And that's, I think, what I was talking about with remembering and reclaiming our own healthy power to not just be reliving the early stories that were given to us about ourselves. So we can, through practice, through awakeness, through self-awareness and the kinds of stuff that we were even beginning to talk about here at the beginning with practice, find our way into a new sense of who we are, who other people are, what we're meant to be doing in the world. I've got a great thing I want to ask. Nina, go on. what was 13-year-old yeah. Bobby like? Oh, ah! for God's yeah. <laughs> This is the go-to place. This is brilliant. A 13-year-old Bobby was bold and sometimes brash and for me in the story that I was living in going back to our topic I was quite frightened of Bobby as well as a bit in awe of her <laughs> she was a kind of natural leader and I would say in, in my world view she led our we were a very small co cohort of girls in a boys school and Bobby was in charge basically and she had lots and lots of people wrapped around every one of her fingers is the way I experienced her, which might, of course, be very different to the way Bobby experienced herself. 
Um, but yeah, I felt like you had it all together, Bobby. You were fit and beautiful and bright. And I only learned later about all the other difficulties you were experiencing, which were invisible to me at that time. Isn't that interesting? Because the way you're describing Bobby is exactly how I perceived her when I met her when she was, I think we must have been, what, 21, 22 years old. Mm. And again, it's a real lesson to everyone that we always, I don't know, that often we look at people and think that they have it all working out and that they are confident and happy. And uh, I'm not suggesting that you weren't any of those things, Bobby, but we do project sort of onto people and think, oh, you know, they've got it all sorted. And I wish I could be like that. And actually, in reality, every single one of us, no matter how put together we appear on the outside, have all got a, a massive conversation going on inside us that is not at all what people are perceiving. I think all of the, the way you describe Bobby, Nina, was and is how I perceive Bobby now. I guess I see now the work that you've done, Bobby, and I would say that you are much more able to, you have much more vulnerability about you, that you share that vulnerability now. And I think that that was something that you referred to, Nina, from St. Brenny Brown when you were talking about yeah. this sharing and why vulnerability is, is so important and embracing yeah. it and, and not being afraid of it. But certainly I see much more vulnerability in you now, Bobby, and a willingness to, to really want to help others to also be able to be vulnerable and to to make the changes that they need. I don't think that was something that was to the fore of you. When, why would it be when we're you're 13 or 21, we're, we're still finding our way in the world. So I perceive a, a wiser woman, wisdom, witchy wisdom woman in you now. Mm. I didn't really experience in my relationship with you when we were 21, 22. So for anyone listening to this recording, let me now describe what's going on in my body. <laughs> I am sweating. Mm. literally sweating and I have gone from rolling my shoulders back to trying to sit up to trying to take it all in so you know somehow thank you my adorable friends we've managed in this recording to actually conduct the experiment that we're talking about yeah because having to sit and listen to about yourself is just extraordinary and and I'm and I'm I'm just taking it all in and I will um, listen to that back. Yeah. God, Bridge, I'm so glad that you've done this thing of like bringing it right into the in-betweenness of us, like the three of us, because it feels so much more real than talking about stuff. Because what you're reminding me of is like when we soften and start to do the very work that we're talking about of loving ourselves, which Bobby, you took on, like, I know you've been in it for years, but you really took it on in my view, like what I could see during the year that we worked together when you were qualifying as a coach. Yeah. And, um, oh my God, the softening that happened in you. And as you say, Bridge, the willingness to kind of just let it all hang out made so much genuinely possible for me in our relationship and also in myself. Because I think this is the crux for me of 
and I think in our conversation, I'm feeling this, like what if we do take up this work of self-inclusion and self-love, for the sake of what would we do that? And what I can say, Bobby, is that being around you, knowing that you've done that work, who I got to be in response to that, which was bolder as well in bringing myself forward, like your boldness took up its right size in the world. It wasn't pushy or frightening for me anymore. It's like the profound quality. And then I get to do the same in your company. Mm. So we become a space of possibility for other people when we're working with these aspects of ourselves and loving ourselves. Then other people get to feel loved and be loved in a whole different way on the outside because the inner and outer world is somehow just so not separate. Anyway, Bridge, I'm just really glad that you've brought it in close like this because... I'm pretty sure Bobby isn't. (laughs) I'm I'm so sorry, Bobby. I I was waiting for some amusing anecdotes about you putting frogs in teachers' desks or something. (laughs) Oh, oh, we can go there. That's a whole. Oh, hey, listen, listen. Yeah, I have got some. (laughs) No, I'm not. Yes, there's some very, very juicy stories about all sorts of shenanigans that um, I learned that I learned from Bobby. There's a whole TV program about it, remember? Yeah. But we, we're not we're not putting that in the reference documents, I can assure you. Oh, oh I think we should, Bobby. I'll add it into the reference documents afterwards. Yes. Excellent. You'll get to know so much more about both of us and all our, yeah, <laughs> old patterning, talking about patterning. Very funny. Oh, Lord. Have your shoulders <laughs> moved back yet, Bobby? No, no, I, I, I equally, it's a bit like you're saying about, you know, embrace the vulnerability. I am absolutely fine. And with Nina about the closeness of real life example with that conversation of what goes on when people do this for each other. Yeah. I just happen to be the guinea pig on this occasion. And there's still the unlovable part of me that will get my own back. <laughs> Yeah, I'm bracing myself. <laughs> yeah, Bobby, I'm I'm sorry. You do always seem to be the butt of me, <laughs> me sharing a lot more about you than maybe you had anticipated. But isn't that? I mean, I think that that's characterised as well because I I love the fact with you, Bridge, that I mean, some of the stories that you've told on this about yourself that no one's had to prompt out of you. Uh, it, it, is glorious too and I think that that's that's the same and different as always I mean you were always the one coming back going you're never going to believe what I've just done (laughs) and I'm like I probably am going to believe that you've just done it but yeah you are happy to share your antics I love that yeah yeah I guess some some antics some the ones that that sort of still tickle (laughs) my amusement maybe it's not some ones that that I haven't felt quite so proud of and you've been witnessed some uh, of them right (laughs) yeah I've probably been your sidekick at quite a few of them or or the fact that there may well have been other occasions where you were following me into some ridiculous escapade so so yes Nina Nina my darling Nina just looked on while I was at school going oh my god what is she doing (laughs) What is she doing now? I think you were always up for mis- mischief, but I find us being more mischievous in these older years yeah. than perhaps I ever gave you credit for when you were a child or a teenager. Yeah. Oh, my God. I was so uptight. 
I really was. And I, that might sound punishing. I can kind of be kind to myself about that now. And you know, Bobby, that I came from a very particular kind of family background, an incredibly loving background, but with very, very high expectations. And then on top of that, and Bridge, I don't know if you know this, but my brother, Michael, died when I was 15. And I had the distinct story go on in my life that being a disruption, speaking out for what I wanted, declaring my own needs really had to take a massive back seat. In fact, that's not even accurate. Like it wasn't possible. It really wasn't possible. And I feel like I've been coming back to life really in so many ways in recent years. And Bridge, in a previous episode, you said this thing that's so stuck with me. You were talking about crone. You know, I, I sometimes I could feel mm. like, oh my God, it's taken me this bloody long to become the mischief maker, Bobby, or to step out and say, fuck it. I'm doing this the way I'm doing it. I'm coaching, practicing the way I'm doing it, not according to any rules. I was so rule-driven. You remember this. I was so caught up with what other people thought of me. It's so distasteful to me now. Actually, kind of think, God, I was, it was like everybody was narcissistic supply for me. And the crone thing now, was it Bridge that you said it derives from the word crown? Yeah. Yeah. Gabby, our friend, mutual friend of ours, pointed this out to me on my 50th birthday. It's so brilliant. It really is. Whatever's happening. And I still have the voices that go, get back, get down. You know, you're the nice girl. You're the good one. You don't make waves. All that, really the crowning now of whatever my innateness, whatever gifts I was that come through me, it feels sort of unequivocal. It's non-negotiable. And I know also that it probably is going to be disruptive. And I'm increasingly, because I think I surround myself with people who will stand for that disruption and actually welcome it, Mm. it makes so much possible. That's been a thing as well, to really look at that and be willing to say there's certain people, and I think this is true at work, in any work context as well, like, can we find people who challenge us and bring all parts of us forward back into the light? So they can be of service to the world. It's not for just some fluffy kind of, oh, I want to feel good myself, which is lovely too, like personal fulfillment. But actually, I think I can be more use in the world when I just put down all my bullshit. Absolutely. I love that. I've just got a book through yesterday, which again, my husband sort of rolls his eyes. He said, oh, what's the book you've got? And I said, it's called Witch, Unleashed, Untamed, Unapologetic by Lisa Lister. And he just was like, what's with the witch nurse? I was like, no, I'm embracing this element of me now that I have my my wild, wise woman crown. Yeah. Oh, I think God. I might Brit- start wearing a crown and have done with it. Yes, or a, yes, or some fabulous tiara situation, something like that. Do you know what, Bridger? You just, that's so amazing. And it's done something in my body. We're talking about somatics that... I'm going to have to get this book because... Me too. Well, my journey into the world of integral development coaching and actually having any kind of grasp of any of this 
began with my own training and on it, you know, we, so in our coaching work and the coaching work methodology that Bobby and I share, we work a lot with narrative. And one thing that a coach can do is invite you into a deeper kind of truer sense of the possibility that you are unencumbered by all those stories that you get born into. And the narrative I was offered was the witch. Mm. Yeah. This book is very woo-woo. I mean, it's written by, I think she is a Wiccan. So a lot of it is about yeah. moon cycles and all kinds mm. of things like that. So it's very woo-woo. Because she loves the woo-woo. Oh, well, I do love then. the woo-woo. <laughs> it's probably been evident that I love the woo-woo. <laughs> I was just going to say, which seems to be so apt for this episode. Do you remember my meltdown about my narrative when I went through the course? Yes, because you I see, do. Every, everybody else gets a witch, a waterfall, something that they can, <laughs> they can get their hands around um, or, you know, go and epitomize or really feel into it and tell stories about. And mine was, you are love. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the time, because of the body that I was in going, well, what the fuck am I meant to do with that? <laughs> yeah. And was furious. And I remember saying to Nina, why am I the only one not to get a proper narrative? I remember it distinctly. Yeah. And yet, whilst it's a slightly funny story to be telling now, and we often chuckle about it, it seems absolutely on the money that that's what I needed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was wow. absolutely the right story, right narrative. Oh, well, Bob, you sent me into one of those existential der moments that I kind of love and are confounding at the same time. But there's something there, just to say this, <laughs> like you've taken it and your narrative took it to another level, which is, yeah, it's loving ourselves. But if we are love, then what does that mean? You know, like if mm. we know ourselves as love, we can know ourselves as many other things, right? Wisdom and compassion and patience, gratitude. But then it's a massive invitation. Like how could everything, your, every way you express yourself, if you know it as love, and it comes all the way back round bridge to what you were saying in a way about what's the goodness in all the patterns, even when we haven't liked the patterns we can find the love in it, then somehow that comes forward into the world. It's a big, big invitation. It's a big call, albeit it might seem a bit woo-woo. Mm. I think I was so angry because it frightened the shit out of me. Yeah, yeah. Bridge, the question I was going to ask you is, what's your relationship to the, like you said, this book is woo-woo, but you ordered it. I just wondered what... What had you order it, and what's your relationship to to kind of woo woo ism? Oh, I know. I I I'm a great lover of the woo woo. It's just that I know that some people aren't. So yeah. you know, it's just a warning for people who sort of suddenly think that they're going to get this very sort of factual, well, not factual, but theoretical book about psychology or something when actually I, yeah, yeah. I, I mean and there is an element of psychology to it I'm sure because there is to everything but it is very woo-woo and so I do just warn people because I never know what their relationship with the woo is and mine is yeah, yeah I'm full-on woo to be honest woo-woo yeah, person can I can I just say on that though Bridge you know when we're talking here about all parts of ourselves are lovable 
I see what could be perceived as you busy warning people about the woo-woo part of yourself, like it's something not to be loved. Whereas I think it is, because I know if, if I was to start writing a list, as I did with Nina at the beginning, about all of the ways that I have known you, you're solid and you're so bright and it doesn't matter where you've decided to go to next, you are absolutely brilliant at it. So when I talk about you to other people, they're like, oh my God, why has she invited you to come and do a podcast with her? She sounds brilliant. I'm like, yeah, thanks very much, guys. But, <laughs> but you know, the fact that you just decided to leave the military, oh, I'll go and be a barrister. Oh no, I'll go and join the UN. And I just see, I just see now the woo-wooism as an, ex- as an extension of your brain learning new stuff that you will embrace and take on into your life so it's not to be dismissed it's just another big part of you which I for one will love (laughs) thank you Bobby my turn to get a little bit hunched up I'm sort of deliberately trying to throw my shoulders back as you're saying that yeah I think I don't know that I feel it's an unlovable trait but I guess it still is what we're talking about the other week or it might be because <laughs> I'm confused now, the order that we've done our recordings it might be next week's podcast tune in <laughs> but we talked about how of flippancy and I think that that is an example of my flippancy you know get it in before someone else criticizes me for it and I think mm. it probably also comes from you know my background originally was science so I did a degree in biology and then a master's in marine science and I guess I am still influenced by that, you know, the scientific method and and lots of sort of eyebrows raised by people who are very, very, you know, in the Western world and in the patriarchal society, you know, science is viewed as sort of a god. And so there's lots of eyebrows raised about woo-woo-ness. And I guess I was quite sceptical when I was younger and when I still bought into scientific method is the only way of looking at the world and rejecting those elements of the feminine, which are, you know, the gut feeling and the sixth sense and all of the things that that for a long time were sort of sniggered at. And certainly as I've got older and particularly as I've embraced my croneness, my crondom, however we want to describe it, I'm sure that someone will send me the correct grammatical way of describing that that I have been open to the feminine and the elements of the feminine that are and I'm not saying that men don't possess them but they are viewed as feminine traits I think that those elements of woo-woo-ness for a better word to encompass it all are I'm much more open to accepting and being interested in and being curious about And fascinated also by the fact that science is catching up (laughs) into recognizing, you know, particularly those things that we've talked about, the gut feeling, and now all of the information about the vagus nerve and how effectively Mm. the gut is the second brain or the first brain, depending on how you look at it. And that that's all proved by science. So, you know, for me, woo-woo-ness is just knowledge that science hasn't caught up with yet. I agree. There's place for both. Yeah. I'm just feeling the, God, the breadth and depth of it and the big, big appreciation. And also feeling both of you like I could talk to you for about four hours on this topic. <laughs> yeah. 
but huge appreciation and gratitude for being here. Well, thank you for coming, Nina. It's been so lovely to chat to you and sort of get to know you a little bit. I've heard so much about you and it was, it was a real thrill when Bobby was suggesting that she was going to bring a really good friend on. You've got a wonderful calmness about you that, that I certainly don't experience in myself. It's very calming to talk to you. I'd love to continue to chat and maybe we'll have to set up a date sometime where we can all get together and reminisce about the frogs in the desk stories. I can't wait to tell you all that. (laughs) There were no frogs. There were no frogs. Anyway, let me just get to the quote before we start going down another rabbit hole. And Nina, my thanks too. I love you. Thank you so much. So this is a quote from Louise L. Hay. And it goes, You have been criticising yourself for years and it hasn't worked. Try approving yourself see what happens lovely thanks bobby thanks nina thanks, bobby. yeah thanks bridge Yay. Ta-ra. bye thanks for listening links to any references we have made are provided on our website and on the spotify podcast page next week beware we will be joining you just before leap day a day traditionally where women are allowed to propose to men. Allowed? Really? And yet that tidbit will lead us to explore much more around building a strong, resilient space in the world. So join us then for being your ground, filling your space.